Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, I'm just expecting God to move. You expecting God to move? Let's, uh, let's pray before we jump into this. God, uh, we humble ourselves before you, and, and we thank you for your unfailing love, Lord. I, I don't think we understand how much we need it until we need it. But you are so good and merciful, and I'm personally grateful for that, God. Thank you. I ask for your Holy Spirit to work in me and through me um, for your good pleasure. I know you're already working in hearts, and I know souls and people are going through things. Someone I'm on the mountaintop, someone in the valley, wherever we're at, I pray that you just meet every soul there, Lord. Pray for those who are watching online. I pray that you uh, speak to them and uh, grab a hold of their heart. I pray that, that uh, people are set free during even the sermon, Lord, while it's being preached. I pray that healing happens in the name of Jesus Christ, even while the message is being preached. I pray decisions are made while the message is being preached. And I pray hearts turn to you, God, men and women, young and old. I pray, Lord, we all turn to you with our whole hearts, and we, we diligently desire you more than a everything else. So uh, put your words in my mouth and make it burn in my heart, and, and we will be open to your word, God. Do whatever you want. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be at church, guys. Good to be here. Good to be up on stage here again. Um, I so appreciate our worship team. Don't you appreciate them, guys? They're just so wonderful. They put so much practice, and, and you know, they, their heart's desire is for you to meet God. That's, that's, the, that's the win, for you to meet God. That's their desire, uh, and they do such a wonderful job giving their best to the Lord. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was with my wife on a work trip in Washington, D.C., and we got to spend a few days walking around and looking at, you know, the Smithsonian Museums. It was a lot of fun. But I, I you know, in D.C., they memorialize a lot of things. Uh, you know, this is a famous, famous statue, the Iwo Jima statue, and depicts uh, six Marines who raised the American flag uh, in, in the Japanese Volcano Islands on February 23, 1945. And, and uh, they talked about that. And, and you can go up and you can look at this thing, and it's just uh, so impressive. And another one was a, a, a statue or a memorial of Martin Luther King. And, and you can see how, how big this thing is. I, I, I took a picture of it, and and just so impressive, and, and everything he represented as a preacher, as a civil rights leader, and uh, just so impressive. Um, here's another one that you don't see very often. It's a, it's a statue, a memorial of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair. He, he was embarrassed. I shouldn't say embarrassed. He felt like if people knew he was in a wheelchair, that would people would think he was a weak leader. So he was very strategic about uh, not being seen in a wheelchair. But uh, he had to overcome incredible, incredible odds, uh, incredible odds. And I, I think about all these memorials and, and, uh, and uh, living a life in such a way, first of all, that someone says, I want to erect a statue in memorial of you. I, I think that's pretty impressive, don't you, to live that kind of life. And, and that's, that's amazing. But as I thought about this related to Hebrews chapter 8, I thought about another quote. Um, uh, the, the, someone said, we do not remember days, we remember moments. And all of these memorials are about remembering a moment in history, remembering what this person did. And that's what, that's what typically uh, these uh, memorials are. And, and if you think about your own life and, and uh, moments 
that kind of, kind of uh, singed in your life, dented your life, and you remember certain things. And sometimes they're good things, right? Um, maybe the birth of a child, that's, that's an exciting thing. Or, or maybe when you landed that job or you got that car or you're on that vacation or whatever it is, and, and you remember those moments. And then there's other moments that we remember that kind of hold us hostage, and they're kind of there. We'd rather not remember them, but they're stuck in our memory and they're just kind of there. And, and as I thought about this, I thought, you know, we build memorials in our own life. Some of you have gone to bed and in your bedroom, there's like 100 statues in your bedroom. And some are good and some are bad. And they're just there in your life everywhere you go and these, these things. And, and, and I'm so grateful we have a God who forgives I'm grateful we have a good God. And in Hebrews chapter 8, there's this kind of this outline of the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but you have a God who loves you and cares about you. And there's not anything you're going through that's too difficult for him to handle. There's no sin in your life that's too great for the grace of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's no sin. And he's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of do-overs. He's a God who has this unfailing love. As I thought about these memorials, and I thought about how we erect memorials in our own life, I thought about two things. One is I thought about this. I'm so glad God does not memorialize our worst days. I'm so glad God does not memorialize our worst days. I'm so glad there's not a statue of me somewhere from that day that I blew my temper. You know what I mean? That day that I sinned. That day that was, I was at my weakest. That day when I didn't respond well. You know what I'm talking about? I'm so glad God does not memorialize our worst days that night. Whatever it was. And then my second thought was this how easy it is for us to memorialize our worst days. How easy it is for us to memorialize our worst days. Sometimes it's easy for us to just kind of spend our life in, in, um, in guilt and, and we kick ourselves and, and we, we kind of go back to our worst day and we think that's just who we are and, and we're never going to be able to be anyone else and we just are never going to be able to move forward because we memorialize our worst day. Anybody with me? Am I, am I, am I connecting with anybody here? I, 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 want you, I thought about these two things as I walked around D.C. and I thought about all these memorials and I thought, uh, I'm just so glad God does not memorialize our worst days, but how easy is it for us? How easy it is for us? How easy? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, guys, and, and would you uh, just help me out a little bit? Can we stand together as I read... Uh, 113 verses together, and we'll just go through this. We'll start at verse 7. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming. Say the day is coming with me. The day is coming. If you were a Hebrew, a good Jew Hebrew living in the days of the Old Testament, that would have been 
really good news. The day is coming. Say it again. The day is coming. Says the Lord, when I will make a, what church? A new covenant. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's a new covenant. Tell them it's a new day. It's a new covenant. A new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their, on their hearts and I will be their God and, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And verse 12 is what we're going to hone in on today. So let's just read it out loud. It says, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date, expired, throw it in the trash can and will soon disappear. Lord, open up our eyes and uh, make our hearts soft to receive your word. Change us. Do whatever you want, Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This passage that we just read um, talks about this new relationship that God desires to have with humanity. And you really have to start looking at this kind of like with this Old Testament Hebrew perspective. They, they, they spent their life uh, offering sacrifices. That's what they did. Every day they were reminded of this spiritual gap between them and, and God. And uh, every day, every year, there were sacrifices, festivals, um, moments, uh, rituals, all of these things that reminded them that uh, they are not living at a level that God needs them to live. And they were reminded of this over and over and over again. But this, this, this uh, passage that we just re- read talks about this new day. And it's, it's interesting because in verse 9 it says, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turn my back on them, says the Lord. Well, you know, this is, uh, you see the heart of God. And, and, and uh, even when Moses was taken up on the mountain, and, and you read about this story in, in Exodus where God spoke to him from the mountain and gave him the Ten Commandments and gave him instructions about the tabernacle and gave him instructions about what priests are to wear and all of these things. And Moses is talking to God for 40 days and 40 nights on this mountaintop. And while God is talking to Moses, what's happening down at the bottom of the mountain, all of Israel has turned their back on God. They said Moses is taking too long and Aaron is leading the way and they decided to make a golden calf and they worship this golden calf. What strikes me about that story is you see the heart of God. 
God is giving these instructions to Moses about how to live with him in, in the midst of this thing, this spiritual disease called sin and how to have a relationship with him. And he's going through this whole thing about how to approach him, how to worship him, how to do life with him. And these are the commandments you need to honor. And while God is doing this with Moses, the children of God are worshiping this golden calf and saying this golden calf is responsible for leading them out of Israel. Don't you find that fascinating? Do you think God knew that his children had turned away from him and were, was worshiping this golden calf and giving this golden calf credit for the good thing in their life while God was talking to Moses? Now, do you see the heart of God there? God desperately wants to have a relationship with his children. And at the same time, there's this spiritual disease called sin that we've inherited from our spiritual grandparents, Adam and Eve. And because of that sin, we turn away and we crave things that we shouldn't crave. And we watch things that we shouldn't watch on our phone or on our laptop. And we lie when we shouldn't lie. And when we, we steal or, or, or we slander or or lust, or whatever it is, or we worship other things, or we worship even ourselves above anyone else, and all these things, but yet in the midst of it, you have this God who's working with Moses and saying, I'm going to give you an instructions right here of how to walk with me, and I want you to have the best life possible, but yet they're in the middle of building this golden calf with this gold and their earrings and jewelry and all of that stuff. And I see that and I think, gosh, that's just like our relationship with God today in so many times, so many ways. Don't you want to have a great life and don't you want to pursue all of that stuff? I mean, all of us do. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or atheist or agnostic, go to church, don't go to church. I think all of us want to have a good life. All of us want to enjoy life. And God our heavenly father wants to give you and me an amazing life. And yet we have this thing inside of us that just kind of makes us go the wrong direction at times. Verse seven, verse 18 says, where is it? Where, where is oh, sorry, This is out of Micah, Micah, our prophet. He says, where's another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? There's Israel overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing what church? Unfailing love. That's his love. That God delights in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our, our sins under your feet. Oh, wow. Did you guys hear that? You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You see the heart of God? The heart of God is he wants to show you his unfailing love. Does that mean anything to you? He wants to show you his unfailing love. That's what he wants. And he, he wants to, well, this is what he wants to do with your sins. He wants to put them under his feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. The depths of the ocean. This had to be a big change for the Hebrews. 
You know, the, the Hebrews were told, okay, here's the old way of doing things of how to be right with God. You heard about it from Mount Sinai. This is the old way of doing it. This is how you to live. And they live in like this for centuries and centuries and centuries, even thousands of years. And then he says, okay, here's the new way now. The new way is found in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. And it's because of what he did on the cross. And it's because of the empty grave. You have a new way. Now you don't have to offer sacrifices every single day. You're the living sacrifice. You're the living sacrifice now. And now because of what he did one time on the cross, you no longer have to have a litter of sheep and goats in your house anymore. You don't, long have, you don't have to go to the market anymore to buy any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about the 613 laws. That's all gone. It's obsolete. It's like throwing milk that has expired in your refrigerator away. It's just like it's gone. This is a new way. And I thought about the Hebrew, and I thought, this had to be hard for them. I mean, just to be honest with you, how many of you are okay with change? I challenge you to sleep on the opposite side of the bed tonight. Yeah, that'll rock your world, some of you. Just sleep on the opposite bed. You know what? You, who's planning on driving home tonight? Who's planning to raise your hand? If you're, if you're going home, let someone else drive home with you tonight. Why don't you switch cars tonight? Why don't you do that? Let's do that. I think I've said it before, I think everybody's okay with change as long as it doesn't affect them. We're honest. My, my wife, Grace, who you, you heard her share her testimony, and I'm so humbled and grateful for my wife. I'll tell you, I, I can, I'll start crying just talking about how much I love her and I appreciate her. She's been a blessing. Um, one of the most unloving things my wife does, let me just start with that, <laughs> is every once in a while, she buys a new pillow for me, and I hate it. Anybody with me? It's like, I like, my, I like my pillow. Don't change my pillow. And she just does this because it's time or whatever it is, and I understand what it is. But I, sometimes change is hard for me. And I think about the Hebrews, and they're told, okay, your old way of doing things is gone. And the new way is this life with Christ and and, and you don't, it's just a brand new way. Do you want it? And I, I, I'm guessing some were, were thinking, well, what am I going to do with all these sheep? What am I going to do with, I don't know about that. I kind of get my identity maybe from some of, these, some of these things. I love verse 10. It says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, there it is again. You have a tenacious God. He is fixed on this idea of having fellowship with you. He is fixed on this idea of having a relationship with you. Even though you're building a golden calf while you're at church hearing a message, he wants to have this relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants to be your God, and he wants you to be his child. He wants you to understand this relationship, and you see that in Hebrews. It's like God is saying, I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord. For everyone, say everyone with me, guys, everyone from the least to the greatest, the one in the penthouse and the one in the projects. 
the white and the black and the brown and the yellow and the red, <laughs> from the least to the greatest, the one who lives in uptown Denver and the one who lives on the corner and the streets of Denver, the one who lives in the trailer, the one who lives in the tent, the one who lives in that subdivision, the one who has green grass and the one who has dirt, the one who sweeps the floor and the one who sits behind a desk, from the least to the greatest, everyone will know the Lord. That's the heart of God. That's who he is. Doesn't matter how much you make or how little you make. Doesn't matter what you wear. Doesn't matter your status. The heart of God is for you to know him, to walk with him. And he wants you to know his faithfulness. How many times do things happen in our life that just don't make sense? I feel like I'm a little bit of a poster child right now, guys. I could just tell you, I feel like the last two years of my life, there has been so many things that have happened that just haven't made any sense. But yet in the midst of this, someone asked me, how are you doing, Reuben, and this kind of thing, and they, they said bittersweet, right? That's what it said, bittersweet. And I, I heard this person, and I thought, well, when it started, it was pretty bitter. But as we've been going through this, as I've been walking with God, and I've been holding on to my faith, and holding on, and you guys have been praying and loving in so beautiful ways, as I've been walking, it's gone from bitter to sweet, and I look back and I say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. When you go through tough stuff, when you're going through it, it's not fun. Especially when you don't know the why and you don't understand why this is happening. Those are tough times. But as you walk with God and you say, I'm going I'm to hold on to the promises of God. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm gonna keep, even though I was hurt, even though this happened, whatever, I'm going to keep walking with God even though I don't understand. It goes from bitter to sweet. It goes that way. And God has this desire to have this relationship with you and with me. In verse 12 again, it says, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. First thing I want us to say, I think we're just super grateful. I think I, all of us, we have a God who is willing to forgive. It's in the heart of God. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. He chooses to. He's all present and all-knowing and all-powerful, and he desires to have a relationship with you. He doesn't need you. He chooses to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. God forgives. Reminds me of 1 John chapter 1. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And then chapter two says this, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but, say but with me, but. See, all of us have a but right here. If anyone does sin, there it is. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. If anyone does sin, that's you and me. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. That word atones in other versions, you know what it says? It says uh, propitiation. It means substitute. It means substitute. He atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Isn't that beautiful? It's the grace of God. The grace of God. He offers you grace and mercy so that when you sin, it's there for you. 
But it happens. Did you hear the prerequisite earlier? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So there's a humility component in all this. You need to humble yourself before God and say, God, I screwed up. God, I need your grace. God, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that gal. I don't want to keep, I don't want to, I don't want to be that person, God. I'm going to turn to you with all of my heart, God, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me, Lord. And this word tells us he's faithful and just, and Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our in-between. He's our mediator, and it's because of the blood of Jesus that we can experience the forgiveness of of our sins. It's because of the blood of Jesus. And it's, it's good for us. For, for, it's forever. <laughs> it's good for us. And it's because of that blood. Because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have to beat yourself up. It's because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have to dwell on that past, on that night, on that day. You don't have to do that. Because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have to relive that thing over and over and over again. You don't have to get stuck with that thing that you did and convince yourself that's who you are. No, it's not. You're covered by the blood of Jesus and God has a future for you. You hear that? It's because of the blood of Jesus. It takes care of everything. You don't have to live with regret. And scripture says, even the stain of that sin will be gone. I like the way Micah said it. He puts it under his feet and he buries it in the deepest ocean. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound great? You know, the devil wants to remind you of your past. And if the devil can get you to remind you of your past, you won't move forward. You'll beat yourself up. You'll constantly convince yourself you'll never be able to take those steps forward. It's like one step forward, 10 steps back. And you're always going to think like that. But that's what the devil does. He's, he has the same tricks under his sleeve all the time. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And he wants to keep you back from being that man, that woman that God wants you to be. You need to move on. Learn from that last temptation. Learn from that last fall, that last fail. Look at it. Look at it like a surgeon would or an assessor and, and look at the circumstances and think, why did I fall? Why did I slip up in that moment? Well, what were the conditions Okay, I was alone. Okay, it was night. Okay, I was discouraged. Okay, I was exhausted. Okay, I was worn out. And learn from that and recognize, okay, next time I'm in a situation like that, I'm going to be alert. I'm going to watch. And I'm not going to be spiritually ignorant again. I'm going to be aware of what happens. Because the grace of God is there. And scripture makes it clear. <clears throat> don't sin because of the grace of God. Live a life of faithfulness and righteousness before God. Don't take advantage of his grace and mercy. God forgives. The second part is this, and I love the second part. Hebrews 8.12 says, I'll forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Doesn't that blow you away? When I first read this, you know, I first of all, I thought... <clears throat> You know, I, I thought about, like, Amber Heard. You know, anybody think about Amber Heard? You know, 
<laughs> Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I mean, she is blasted all over social media. And I thought, I'm so glad that God doesn't do that to us. I'm so glad that when we screw up and we have our weaknesses, the whole world isn't against us and there's not all kinds of memes and all kinds of stuff being said. I mean, I'm so glad <laughs> that that doesn't happen. And I, you know, pray for that girl. And, and just a reminder, you know, if, if, if our life was put on court in public, what would it look like? What would people say? And I, I thought about this thing where it says, um, and he'll not, you know, he'll never again remember our sins. And and uh, I, I dug into it a little bit. And I want to share with you what what the Lord told me here. First thing I want to share is that I want to start with this word "remember." It means to it means to bring to mind or think of again. That's what the word remember looks like, to bring to mind, to think about it again. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly using my reminder on my iPhone to tasks and all kinds of stuff because, you know, it just feels like I got enough stuff going on. It's super easy to forget stuff. So I'm setting reminders all the time. And, and, uh, and, and it's always crummy when someone else remembers and you forget and you feel like you dropped the ball and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, uh, you know don't, men, don't forget like any anniversaries with your women. You know, that's like an important thing to remember. Super important. Remembering your, your pins. I hate it when we, I go to some website that I haven't been on and they ask for like password. I'm like, are you kidding me? I haven't been to this website in a year. I don't remember the password in this thing. Then you got to like prove your identity and all that stuff. And this is like, it's just not fun. But uh, remember is, is one of those things that, that we have to do occasionally. And to forget means to lose the remembrance of, to be unable to think of or recall. That's when you're like red-handed and someone says, what did you do with this? Or what did and you're like? I don't know. I don't remember it. I, I guess I'm terrible. I'm horrible. All that stuff. Now you have to understand for the Hebrew, the word remember is different from us. For the Hebrew, remembering was more than a mental effort. It carried with it the thought of doing something with it. So for the Hebrew, it was not just this mental recollection. There was action associated with that memory. Do you hear that? There was action associated. Let me give you some examples. Genesis chapter 8. Scripture says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to, what? Recede. God remembered Noah. And the floods began to recede. Glory to God. Have you ever said that prayer to God? You know, just be, can we just be honest, guys? Have you ever said that prayer to God and say, God, don't forget me? Have you ever said, God, don't forget this problem hasn't been resolved? God, don't forget this illness is not healed. You've been there? And I love that we have a God who does remember. He remembers, and, the, and it's beautiful, the waters began to recede. And it started with God remembering. And then you see another example of God remembering in Revelation chapter 16, which is not so cool. It says, so God remembered all of Babylon's sins and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce 
wrath. You see that? So in one situation, God remembers Noah, the waters recede. In other words, another situation, God remembers the sins of Babylon. And he forces them to drink the wine of his wrath. So you see that he remembers. Here's what I want you to recognize and understand. When God remembers, he looks at his memory through a lens of judgment or grace. He looks at it through a lens of judgment. He's a righteous, holy God. And if there's sin that needs to be dealt with and it's not confessed, then he deals with it in a righteous, holy way. It's his integrity. And there's judgment behind it. And what he's saying in Hebrews chapter 8, because of Jesus, now when he looks at us, there's this grace that is over us. And he looks at us through a lens of grace because of the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. He remembers it. But he sees the blood of Christ And because of that, he has grace and unfailing love, and he sees it. And I thought about this idea of judgment and grace and judgment and grace, and I thought we do the same thing when we think about those who have hurt us. We can remember it through eyes of judgment, or we can remember it through eyes of grace. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you think about that person who hurt you or that moment or that time you were treated unfairly or whatever it was, you can remember it with judgment or grace. Incidentally, I think it's really interesting. I think just being honest, and this is a good place to be honest, I think it's really interesting that all of us want the grace of God. We love the grace of God. We want the forgiveness of our sins, and we want all of it, but when people hurt us, do we extend the same grace to them? Not so much. We're easier on ourselves and harder on others. We're soft on ourselves and hard on others. We reason with ourselves and we judge others. We let things pass within ourselves and we say, you know, God overlooked that. It's no big deal. But we're hard on others. And I'm so glad God is different. God looks at things through a lens and then Hebrews chapter 8 is saying through a lens of grace. So much so that he remembers no more. So when he does remember, I mean, he is God. It's buried in the deepest sea. And there's an ocean of grace and mercy over it. Glory to God. This is where you can put your hands together, guys. It's buried in the deepest sea, and there's an ocean of grace and mercy over it because of that. And he will not bring it up. Aren't you glad? You know, some people have that spiritual gift to bring up your mistakes. I know that, right? And he will not bring it up. He's just so good. He doesn't want you to dwell on that. He doesn't want you to think about that. See, the more you know the grace of God, over, the more you know the grace of God over your own life, the more grace you'll have on those who wronged you. Some of you, the reason why you haven't forgiven others is just because you haven't fully received the grace of God in your own life. You've minimized your own sin. You've minimized the amount of grace that has been extended to you. I love Isaiah <clears throat> He says, uh, I, even I am he who blots out 
your transgressions. This is just word from the Lord. For my own sake, and remember your sins no more. See, God is saying that he will never bring up that sin again. He won't write it down. He won't mention it. He, he, will, he will choose not to dwell on it, never cause it to come into his mind. He won't hold a grudge. He's not going to build a memorial of your worst moment. Aren't you glad? He's not going to do that. That's not who God is. I'm grateful for that. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, do you want a memorial, a statue of yourself for that time when you came home drunk? That time when you put a hole in the wall? That time when you did that thing at that night? Or that time when you blew your temper? Or that time when you embarrassed? Or that time when you said that when you shouldn't have said it? I mean, aren't you glad God doesn't have a memorial of you? Here's our problem. As I was looking at this passage, guys, and, and I, was, I, was, I was looking at this idea of God forgives and he forgets. And I thought about, like, like, like what is our problem? And, and here's what I believe the Lord showed me. Here it is. You can memorialize the wrong moment. You can memorialize the wrong moment. I think we get to choose what we memorialize. But we can memorialize the wrong moment and keep it in our life. And it's in our life and we see it. And that thing prevents you from growing in your relationship with God. It prevents you from like trying and you just want to give up. And you, and you just like, you just give up. And you're, you know, that thing that you memorialize that you shouldn't memorialize. I think the reason why we do that is because... <sighs> Uh, that unfailing love, that grace, that mercy, we don't fully understand. When you live and understand the grace of God, you want to have a relationship with him. You want to walk with him. And you want to extend that to others. But we can memorialize our pain, our sexual abuse, that hurt, those words. We could memorialize that moment and live with that. Some of you have a mind crowded with memorials of hurt and pain. Crowded. I think when we think about that memory, we have a choice to make. Are we going to view it with judgment or grace? And really, you're the one who loses out when you just view it with judgment. You're a better person when you show grace. And you're just like, get the grace of God and you show, you're a better person. You are set free. And you experience a freedom, a lightness. You want to talk about losing 100 pounds in one week. That's what you do. Do that. I think we just have a hard time. We say stuff like, you know, you know what? I can forgive, but I can't forget. I understand what you're saying. But when you look at the scripture, it really doesn't say God forgets like spiritual amnesia. He's God. He's all knowing. What he does is he looks at it through a lens of grace. And it's no longer counted against us at all. He won't bring it up at all. And we have a hard time doing that with people. I like what uh, Sarah Roberts, Sarah Jakes Roberts said, never let the memory of who someone used to be keep you from seeing who they become. Isn't that good? Sometimes we have to do that. If you want to show God that you love him, you, you call yourself a Christian. If you really want to be a Christian, then you love people the way God loves them. 
You show grace the way God shows grace. And let me tell you a little secret. This might be a shocker. There are people who have memorialized you. They have a statue of you in their bedroom, of your worst. We all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. All of us do. But you have said things, I have said things, you have done things. And there are people who've had to forgive you that you may not even be aware of it. Thought about this idea of like, why, why can't we forgive and forget? Because scripture makes, in Hebrews chapter 8, makes it really clear that God, we have a God who forgives and forgets. And over and over you see in scripture this idea that we're to love others as, as God has loved us and, and, and show mercy as God has shown us and, and even forgive as God has for, forgiven us through Christ Jesus. And, and, and here are three reasons why I want to say we, we can't forgive and forget. Here's, this might be you. One is you've attached, your, you've attached your present upset to bigger upsets from the past that can't easily can't be easily forgiven. So there's this snowball effect. You've attached one hurt to another hurt. And it's just one hurt to another hurt. And this snowball is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you walk around like that. And you're angry. Have you ever met someone who seems to be determined that you don't like them? You know what I'm talking about? It's like they just won't receive any love. And if you try to show them love, they, they, they're just angry. And, 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 and they, when they're like that until you, that person just stops trying to show love. And then you're like, okay, see, they're like everyone else. They're just bitter and resentful, unforgiving. Here's another reason why some people can't forgive and forget. You are addicted to the benefits of having a grievance. Not forgiving someone allows us to feel sorry for ourselves and to get attention from others. This is what happened to us. I'm a victim. And you start becoming addicted to that feeling. And it requires you to let go, but, but that attention can be like a drug. We want more of it. We like that someone feels sorry for us. So we're going to live in this place and we're going to let them know how we've been victimized and how we've been hurt and we're living and wallowing in this thing. And all of a sudden we become more addicted to that state than being set free from it. Am I getting close, guys, just a little bit? Here's number three. You are getting your self-worth through your sad story. Sometimes not forgiving others isn't just addictive. It can become the way we begin to identify ourselves. We can get so used to playing the victim that on an unconscious level, we begin to lose sight that we could be anything else. We can become anyone else. Anything else. This word, um, this idea of God forgives and forgets is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I want to encourage you. I don't know what memorials you have erected in your mind. Some of you came to church with them. Maybe you're going to go to home with them. But you get to choose what you're going to erect in your life. And you have a God who wants you to know him. He loves you. Your sins have been forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. 
And, and, and all you have, to, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful life that he has for you. You don't have to live with discouragement. You don't have to live with fear. God wants you, and life is so short, guys. Isn't breath a gift from the Lord? I haven't gotten over that. Our breath is a gift from the Lord. I was in uh, Nashville um, a few months ago when I was over there, uh, my, my son and new daughter's graduation. And I was at the church and this guy that I was with, um, we were in the lobby and I didn't even know him. And, and I just started talking to him in the lobby and he was by himself. And, um, and he started telling me that he was going to see one of his kids. And he hadn't seen this kid in a while and he was really concerned and, because things were said in the past. You know, you know how that is, right? Things were said in the past and the relationship changed. And, and because of that, he wasn't sure if they were going to forgive him. He wasn't sure if how it would go down. And this man, one of his, one of his son played for the Tennessee Titans uh, football team. And, uh, and this guy is going through this. And, and, and I heard him and I thought, boy, you know what? That's just life right there. When we go through stuff in life that just is hard. And in his mind, he memorialized this moment that happened in his relationship. And now it's shadowing. It's like casting this shadow over his, their relationship now because of that word that was said. That thing that happened. And, and now it's like it's just cast this huge shadow. That's what bad memorials do. They cast a big shadow. And you have to work through that. And, and I thought about that. And I thought, boy, you know what? That's the decision we have to make right there. We can become... We could become enslaved to that moment. Or we can turn to God and say, God, I, I, I need you in this situation. Help me to look at it through the eyes of grace. I think about Psalm 103. I love Psalm 103. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. Thank you, Lord. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. That's called grace. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Glory to God. How far is that, guys? That's pretty far, isn't it? <laughs> as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. This is a place where imperfect people start over. This is a place where imperfect people start over. And I'm so grateful we have a God who forgives, but he knows how to do it. He forgives and he restores. He forgives. He builds up. He heals. He renews. He strengthens. And then he says, now I want you to go tell other people about what I did in you. That's what he does. I want you to tell people about this relationship. That's the God we have. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to the Lord. How many of you, you can just raise your hand. You don't, I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward here today, but how many of you, just by raise of hand, you need God 
to forgive and forget in your life. Would you raise your hand right now? You need God to forgive and forget in your life. Amen. I'm with you. I'm raising my hand also. Let me say a prayer for you. God, thank you for your grace and your love. I'm so grateful, Lord. I'm so grateful, God. I, and I'm still blown away by your love. Right now, God, I just uh, pray for every hand that has gone up. And I know some should have gone up and they didn't. But right now, God, would you bring the assurance of your grace? Maybe start off by saying this, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I ask you in the name of Jesus, I confess my sin to you. Forgive me. God, I pray that every soul here can sense the assurance of your grace and mercy over their life. And likewise, Lord, I pray also that we sense that you also choose to remember with grace and you bury our sin in the deepest ocean. You put it under your feet, throw it in the deepest ocean and separate it as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God. Would you work in every heart? Have your way here, Lord. If you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, would you say this prayer? Say, Jesus, I want to become a Christian right now. I want to turn to you right now. So I confess my sins to you. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. Take over my past and present and future and give me a new life. Jesus, you get behind the steering wheel of my life, of my heart, and have your way. Thank you, God, for your grace. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.